All right. This week, episode two. Thanks to Keith Schilling, my uh, MMA media father from SureDog.com, joining me on Friday to do the UFC 244 preview. Um, I got all your emails, guys. It's going to take me 17 podcasts to get them all done, but I'll get to them. Some of them are just. where she's going to end up. I have no idea. So I can't answer these questions, but a lot of them are great, and I'll get to them. Um, Big week on the podcast. I mean, they have another guest every day this week, so I'm going to be busy, but I want to make sure that we do more. I skip some time. I just don't have the time to talk for an hour sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to link up with people, Um, but we're all right. Uh, Fernanda Prates from The Athletic is going to join me on Tuesday, talk a little UFC Moscow. Love Fernanda. Love her stuff. Tried to hook up in the past. Haven't done it. I'm finally going to do it. It's actually Monday. Sunday, Monday. So we'll get into all that right now. It's Sunday. It's still warm. UFC 244 is still warm in my heart. It's about 12 hours ago. I was laying in bed watching it right before my kid woke up and set me up for the whole rest of the night. Whatever. Um, if you don't listen to the Fighting With Myself podcast, I recommend that you do so. Um, Spotify, Apple, I'll link it all in here. Um, do you like to go by Juice, or what do you like to be called, Tom? Yes, I, I don't, um, it, it's just my preferred name. I, th- I think people should be able to kind of go by, like, a name that they want to give themselves. You know, some people say it's, like, lame to give you a nickname, but for me, it's, like, it's not a nickname, it's just what, what I want my name to be, sort of, so... Um, my real name is Aaron. I have no problem saying that, but um, everyone who knows me on a personal level calls me Juice, uh, including my wife. So um, I'm Juice. I wish I had a cool nickname. Try being Dave McGrath your entire life, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, Fighting With Myself podcast available on Spotify, Apple. Uh, it's an anchor podcast. Of course, Juice is the host. Uh, I've got quite the following on Twitter. I've been following him for a while, listening to his podcast for even longer. Um, Real quick, give me five minutes on, you know, the background of your MMA fandom and why you started the podcast, and I, I truly appreciate you joining me today to review UFC 244. Juice, go. Absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm always down to talk fights mm-hmm. with another MMA fan. And as far as my MMA fandom, I'm, I'm finding that I am a little bit newer than most of the people that are what they consider themselves like hardcore fans in the sort of MMA sphere, but um, I became an MMA fan truly in 2015. Um, Before that, it wasn't really on my radar. Um, You know, when I was a young kid, my dad was um, very much in like kind of the um, Senator McCain uh, mindset of like, oh, this is human cockfighting. You don't need to be watching that or whatever. Um, But then we did, we did watch, and this is kind of my, was my sort of appetizer. We did watch Bully Beatdown on MTV. Have you ever watched that show with Mayhem Miller um, they were actors, but they would do these scenarios where this bully would get their ass handed to them by a pro fighter, and they would really fight. Um, and Big John McCarthy would ref it, and it was just awesome. And I would just be always like, "Yeah, fuck that bully," kind of, you know. So I I loved that. And then um, when Conor McGregor had his sort of um, big build up to the Aldo fight, that's when I I even knew what MMA was. And just the things he was saying and the, sh- the shit he was talking, I was like, I got to watch this fight. And then uh, 
you know, watched the whole entirety of UFC 194. We knocked out Aldo in 13 seconds. My head exploded. The bar I was in exploded. And I was like, this is it for me. Like, the, and I've never, I've never uh, been a sports fan. I don't watch other sports. Um, I watched pro wrestling as a kid and now I'm sort of getting back into it. But other than that, there is nothing else for me. But, um, you know, that and then I, I watched Bisping versus Silva. And, um, that just to me was like the culmination of everything and, um, became a fan ever since. And I don't, I don't miss an event. A lot of people say too, they're like, you know, there's really only two ways you get into MMA. For me, it was this guy migrated from pro wrestling a hundred years ago. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a knock on people if you started watching it. It's just like MMA is really toxic. The fans, the media, in the sense of like, if you only started watching it four years ago, you're somehow less fan. I hate that. I've written about that extensively. Conor McGregor brought a lot of people to the sport. Let's be real. He's the most important fighter in UFC history. That's not a bad thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. So why did you start the podcast? Everybody, listen, man, I, I listen to your podcast. I used to do a podcast alone back in when I was with the MMA Torch 100 years ago. Trying to fill an hour by myself was one of the hardest things that I can. You do it well, man. I, I can't do that. I need somebody to work on. Well, thank you so much. I, I think for me, I just, um, maybe I'm just crazy and I talk to myself all the time. Um, I don't know. Um, it started actually um, about a year and a half ago. I, I had a podcast with my friend. This is sort of my first foray into podcasting. Um, we called it Mixed Martial Opinions, which even even though I, I love my podcast now, Fighting With Myself, um, I think Mixed Martial Opinions is the best name for any MMA podcast. That's just a, a personal bias thing, but I love it. Basically, he's not an MMA fan at all, still is not, but we were inspired by this other podcast called Analyze Fish, where two guys, one of them is not a fan of the band Fish, and the other one is a massive fan, and so they try to, he plays them like old discography and tries to like tell him how great Fish is, and each episode he's like, eh, not really, kind of, and they just sort of like, it's like about their friendship. So we decided to do a podcast about that for MMA, and I would show him old fights week by week, or we would talk about a certain aspect of MMA culture, and um, just sort of have a good time. But it became very clear to me, like doing that podcast, that it was never going to be um, a serious MMA podcast, which is kind of what I wanted it to be. Um, I sort of wanted to convert him into, into being an MMA fan, and, and then we would just sort of like, you know, do a live recap of fights week by week. But it's never gotten to that point. So I, I took a look at the the um, the scene or, or, or what, what, however you want to say it of MMA podcasts out there. The landscape, that's what I was looking for. And I just, I just sort of created the podcast that I myself wanted to see. Um, I, I, was, I was inspired by um, a quote from Saul Williams. He's a rapper slash actor slash musician, kind of renaissance man. And I'm paraphrasing this, but he was in an interview. He said, I never try and give people what I think they want to see. I give people a piece of myself and hope they can relate to it. So that's what I kind of try and do week by week is I just give myself and my complete just vulnerable thoughts and opinions on everything going on in MMA and I recap the fights and uh, get people from Twitter to send in questions and answer them and it's just become really awesome. That's awesome. Isn't it cool when, and I, I do the same thing, I've been doing it for years in my writing and isn't it interesting the things that strike a chord with people when you write about stuff? Oh, absolutely. You know, I um, I get a lot of um, sort of flack, and not 
not real, but sort of like I get teased. I get teased about um, I'm very um, open and proud of the fact that my favorite fighter is Roxanne Mataferi. And people always would ask why. And I would just say, why not? You know, and so my for the 16th episode of the podcast, right after she just lost her last fight to um, Jennifer Maia, who just fought, ironically, um, I decided to just make my whole intro about why I'm a fan of hers. And I just sort of laid it all out there. And I was expecting to, I don't know, get ridiculed, but I was like, you know, I'm at the point where I don't care if I get ridiculed. I'm, I'm still going to be me. doesn't change anything about who I am. And the outpouring of support and love, not only for myself, Roxy actually listened to it. She, she she had some awesome things to say. Everyone from the community was sort of rallying around me, which I thought was awesome. So, you know, yeah, just like you said, things that you never think um, people will relate to, they can. Yeah, I remember when you did that. In fact, that was very cool. Um, yeah, and of course, Jennifer Maya misses weight again. Uh, uh, again last night. Jennifer Maya, the former Invicta, um, I believe she was the Invicta Flyweight Champion. And yeah. She came over to the UFC as the Invicta Flyweight Champion and uh, hasn't gone well for her. Can't even make weight, so loses again. I can't imagine that there would be much slack for her left on the UFC roster. Anyway, um, UFC 244 last night, Madison Square Garden. Uh, first Garden show that I actually did not attend, either covering it or as a fan. Uh, I stayed home. It was great. Uh, insane night, talking to some people who were there on ground covering it, couldn't even get in the building. People were stuck, uh, sitting in tunnels because of the, the president's arrival. Real quick, I feel like I ask this question every podcast I do with different guests about pay-per-view events. Biggest takeaway from last night? Oh, wow. Biggest takeaway from last night was, um, uh, you know, Despite what a lot of MMA fans think, you know, there's just like you said, um, it's kind of a toxic place. And I remember a column you did weeks ago when um, Kane burst on the scene in WWE and you had a thing that I remember I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, I thought MMA Twitter was the most toxic place. Wrestling Twitter is a whole nother level. And there's just the toxicity of them not wanting Kane to be in WWE. You know, there has been this sort of uh, like war between uh, MMA fans and pro wrestling fans that they don't want anything to do with each other. And I think if we all would just take a step back and realize that the the roots of MMA are very much rooted in pro wrestling and that a little bit of crossover is no problem. You know, the, the whole uh, idea of the BMF belt was a very much a, a pro wrestling type feel. And whilst a lot of fans rejected it initially, it seemed like everyone was on board with it with these two guys. And, um, I think that was on display. Here was my biggest takeaway from last night. Uh, dumbasses like myself, leaving fighters for dead who are in their mid-20s, like Kevin Lee and Darren Till, and I'm as guilty as anybody. Oh, I left them same. both for dead, and they both win last night. Uh, Lee in spectacular fashion, and Till uh, a very nice technical fight against a guy I have a lot of respect for. Oh, hell yeah. And And I was in that same camp, too. And it's interesting that now, now that you're saying it, thinking about it, it, Darren Till was moving up in weight and Kevin Lee was coming back down in weight and they were both kind of at a crossroads. So th- I think they both were in a must-win situation and they showed up in a big way, especially Kevin Lee, man. I mean, I think we all thought Gregor was like the next, you know, going to be the next like Israel Adesanya, have like a clear path to the title and uh, just stay undefeated, maybe become the champion. And Kevin Lee said, nope. 
Yeah, I just I, I, I but let that be a lesson to everybody that these guys are just. I mean, Kevin Lee's twenty six. Darren Till's twenty six. This, you know, these things happen. I think we just get desensitized because we see guys like, you know, Max Holloway, guys like Conor McGregor, John Jones, who got in young, and just were great from the beginning and never strayed from being great. Not many people take that path, you know. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I, I very rarely take anything Dana says to heart, you know. But um, in the oh. press conference just uh, just last night. He said that he said I always tell people it's it's hard to get into the UFC and it's even harder, almost impossible to be, to get in the top fifteen and and then to become champion. And I'm like, yeah, more people need to realize that. Like, I I think and and this is comes coming from an, an outside perspective a little bit because I've never been a like I said a sports fan. Uh, never watched football, basketball, anything growing up. I mean, a little bit was on in the house, but I, I was never into it. And I think there's a there's a mindset amongst fans who listen to or to watch those other sports that. If, if you're not a champion, if you're not winning all the time, you're a bum, kind of. Um, that's certainly the mindset in boxing. And that's um, what I like about MMA is that that mindset sh- at least shouldn't exist. I mean, it, it, for the most part, doesn't. But I think a lot of people, like, look at someone like Kevin Lee, you know, didn't have, he lost to Tony and then couldn't really find his feet, had to go up to 170, lost to RDA. But it's like, oh, are we forgetting how much of a badass RDA is as well? I mean, he's losing to the, the cream of the crop. He's not losing to bums either, so... Um, huge uh, uh, showing for Kevin Lee. I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. And Darren's still the same way. I mean, he beats, he loses to Tyrone Woodley, who's one of the greatest welterweights of all time, and then he loses to Masvidal, who's as hot as I've ever seen a fighter be in all my years watching. So, um, and again, just 26. So let's, let's let's see how things play out. Let's start real quick with the undercard, and we'll get back to Kevin Lee, of course. Uh, I'm not going to get too dragged down in the undercard. Just give me one paragraph on the biggest takeaway from the early prelims and the prelims. And let me just say this. My biggest takeaway from, from both was Shane Burgos is uh, a guy who's going to make a lot of noise uh, in the featherweight division. And, you know, honestly, Juice, Johnny Walker is what I thought he was. Wow. Interesting to hear you phrase it like that. I'll say this very quickly, like a, a blanket statement, um, just b- even before the fights happened. This was the first fight all year where I was excited for every single one. There wasn't a, a, a fight on this card that I didn't know who the fighters were, where I didn't think they it told a story. The everything was on display tonight, and my biggest uh, takeaway was, um, yeah, I guess the the, the Corey Anderson Johnny Walker fight. Although, to be fair, you know I was on the Johnny Walker hype train as much as anyone was, and I think he's still going to do great things. I don't think this is going to completely do a stop to it, but I did I did always have in the back of my mind, I wasn't sort of writing Corey Anderson off. Um, I just was sort of really high on Johnny Walker, but I, I knew he could win. I did not see him getting knocked out. That was just like crazy. Well, I actually did, because if you look at all of Johnny Walker's fights, I mean, he always gets knocked out and it's always that right hand. The, the losses anyway. And his wins are spectacular. They're knockouts, they're flying knees, they're fun. Um, long way to go, as I've been writing for well over a year at many different outlets. There's a, a long way to go for Johnny Walker. Um, and anybody who had thought that he was going to be a problem for Jones now, as I read today, they should probably rethink John Jones' greatness. And again, though, I don't want to break the rule that I just set. Johnny Walker is, what, 25 years old? <laughs> let's, uh, let's pump the brakes. Let's, let's, I'm not going to leave him for dead. 
one question for you. Is Corey Anderson next to John Jones? Um, I don't think so. Just based on um, what he was saying, you know, him, him trying to make, give them an ultimatum, you know. Um, Those never work. That was stupid. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, his manager is Ali, and, you know, yeah. you and I are on the same page, I think, about that. Uh, I've, seen, I've read your writing on, on him and, and, of course, Mike Russell doing an amazing thing. I think Ali sort of can control the UFC in a way that, that no other manager really can. But um, for some reason, they're just the fans aren't behind Corey Anderson. And it sucks because he's he's an awesome guy and he's a skilled fighter, but um, he just says it's almost like Leon Edwards, right? You can go on this amazing win streak and just and just not be over. Sure. Yeah, you got to connect with the fans somehow. It's not enough. And again, Leon Edwards is probably the most deserving guy of the next title shot of the group, and we'll get to that. But you know, if you're a nameless, faceless guy, it doesn't work. That's been shown a million times. So yeah, I would happen to agree. I think. Dominic Reyes is probably the next guy for Jones. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised, and I've written this and talked about it ad nauseum, if neither one of them are next for Jones. And Jones moves up to heavyweight and makes some money facing a guy like Francis Ngannou, who's got no dance partner. Absolutely. And I've heard you talk about this in your last couple podcasts and in the column as well. Um, I am, I'm a person that I won't believe that until I see it. You know, John says, Jones has teased uh, going up to heavyweight for years, and I just don't think he's he's interested in giving up any advantages that he has. However, I would hella love to see it. So if it does happen, I would love to see Jones and Ganu or Jones Stipe or, or anything. And I, I think if that happens, we are going to see Corey Anderson versus uh, J- uh, Dominic Reyes. Maybe uh, Jones sits out a little bit longer. Uh, I know they want to get another Jones fight in uh, early in quarter one for 2020. And don't forget too, you know, Another thing that I, I, I'm going to be writing about shortly that uh, you know I have some really good information on is that the UFC wants to do Adesanya and Jones in 2020, and they want to do it in Dallas at J- Jerry Jones Stadium there in Texas where the Cowboys play. And I don't think they want to fuck that up. So it wouldn't surprise me if Reyes and Corey Anderson fought. Jones sat a little longer, and you know he takes the winner of them you know somewhere in middle 2020 in preparation. But I know that they want to do a big money fight between Adesanya and Jones. So in, in any event, Corey Anderson impressed me last night. How could you not be impressed by a young up-and-coming fighter like Walker uh, and picking him apart like that? I mean, I, I, one of the best performances of the night. He rightfully got a bonus. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It was yeah. Clinical. Go ahead. I was just saying it, it was clinical. That It was just picture perfect. He did not let up. I've never seen Corey Anderson that fired up, both in the fight yeah. and post-fight as well. I mean, he was an animal that night. Poor Kevin McDonald, Boston guy like myself, gets thrown around by uh, light heavyweight. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad he apologized, too. That's the type of stuff that can get you in trouble. Remember, uh, Paul Daly never got a shot in the UFC again after he put his hands on a ref. So, um, yeah, and uh, Roy Nelson, that big John McCarthy. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, let's move to the main card real quick. Kevin Lee, Gregor Gillespie opens it up. Uh, we're talking about a guy who has the best wrestling credentials maybe outside of Daniel Cormier, of anybody who's ever entered the UFC and Gregor Gillespie. Um, I'll tell you, one thing that proved to me again last night is that you have to do more than one thing really great if you're truly going to compete in the UFC. Uh, Gregor just gets outstruck by Kevin Lee. And, um, you know, I I said that this is the surest bet on the whole card, that Gregor Gillespie was going to dominate him and maybe even finish him. I thought it was incredibly impressive by Lee, who, again, 
looked to me like he was battling a staff infection. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it happens every time he cuts the 55. He gets a staff infection. It's crazy. And, and I said this uh, leading up to it, pretty much the same thing you did. However, I was thinking, like, Kevin Lee has faced tougher competition and has been doing it a little bit longer and has always been good at mixing it up. So I was thinking if he looks good at weigh-ins, I'm thinking Kevin Lee probably takes it. But he did not look good at weigh-ins. To your point about the staff infection everything, he was gaunt. Uh, every time Kevin Lee fights, I'm like, God, will they please make 165, please? Oh, and, I know. I write it all the time. He is the perfect example. He's too small for 170, but he's way too big for 155. Can't make it. I agree. Go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think we need to keep banging that drum until they until they do it. Kevin Lee, RDA, Paul Felder, James Vick, like these guys need a 165 cowboy, you know. But um, what makes Gregor striking effective is like he he's not worried about getting taken down. But I I think he was a little bit too willing to exchange with with Kevin because Kevin can stop his takedowns and is a better striker. So I was really surprised. I thought he would know that. Like, I was really surprised at how kind of reckless Gregor was, but I guess he was willing to, to uh, push the pace. Cause I thought like to, to your point earlier, like Gregor was going to win by wearing on him and just making his like muscles filled with lactic acid and, and really kind of, I was thinking like an arm triangle or something in the third round, but nope, <laughs> that head kick was money. Yeah. And you know, Gregor, you're right. I, I figured he was going to wear him down. And maybe, you know, win a unanimous or, 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 or get the sub late. You know, pump the brakes on Gregor a little bit, too. His best win is Yancey Medeiros. I was there that night in Brooklyn. He fought Yancey that cage side. I'll tell you, that was the most dominant performance I've seen in a long time. I mean, Medeiros just didn't want to be there. Um, that said, you know, I could see Kevin Lee and Paul Felder, Kevin Lee and Islam Makashev. This opens up some options for Kevin. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. I would rather see him, you know, go up against a striker. I think Makachev is, is another tough, tough matchup. But listen, kudos to him, man. Nobody wanted this fight with Gregor Gillespie. Nobody. Yeah, and, and credit to him. He, he's been calling out Khabib for years, even before he was champion. You know, he really yeah. wanted this fight, and um, I think that's why the Islam fight intrigues him. So, you know, even though we don't sort of learn from our mistakes, like you know, you and I both made the mistake of doubting Kevin Lee in a sense before this fight. But I don't think we're going to – still my doubt him against Islam because, you know, Kevin Lee seems to be his own worst enemy, you know, with a lot of situations. However, I think the move to TriStar is really good for him. Yes. I wrote today that he said the right things, too. I was expecting him to grab the mic and say, you know, I'm ready for the title, blah, blah, blah. And he did the right thing. He said, I'm not talking about any title shot. I just, you know, the next guy. I think that was good. That, that showed me some maturity. Oh, absolutely. So, and you're right. Two years ago, if we knew each other – I was banging that Kevin Lee drum like you wouldn't believe. Like, he's the next guy to be to be. This is the guy. This is the guy. I used to do it all the time. Um, so, yeah, I just think he has the, the, the best, you know, he has a decent mix of uh, good enough striking and can hang in there on the wrestling. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So, uh, interesting night for Kevin Lee. He gets a $50,000 bonus for um, uh, performance of the night. So, good for him. Um, fourth from the card is uh, Derek Lewis. And Blagoy, Ivanov. I'll tell you, man, one thing about Ivanov, that dude is a tough motherfucker. I picked him to win this fight because I didn't think Lewis would be able to KO him. Um, Lewis throws everything he can at him. Listen, and two things. Uh, Blagoy, Ivanov's chin, and the fact that Derek Lewis looks explosive getting off the ground. Man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
And I, I was, I said this on my show just now. If, if Blagoy Ivanov does not have the best chin in the heavyweight division, you know, tell me who does. I mean, maybe Derek as well, because he took some big shots as well. And, and, and I've never seen him go down either, but uh, it was just amazing performance. And, and Derek Lewis, he kind of telegraphs his shots because there is so much wind up. He, like you said, throws the kitchen sink at him and Blagoy just took it. Um, I, I don't remember exactly Blagoy's backstory. You might, but um, wasn't he like stabbed in the heart or something? Or uh... yeah, he was stabbed in the heart, and he was a Russian sambo champion. Uh, he's also managed from by Ali. Uh, came over, um, you know, with a lot of other Russian and Czech fighters a couple years back. And again, you know, a great great ground game. He's, he's submitted a lot of people for even being a big dude at heavyweight, and uh, to take a fucking punch, man! Holy shit! Yeah, I, I would. Lesser men would have crumbled, like crumbled. I, I just everybody I, has. I, everybody has to, to Derek Lewis for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I would just, just yeah, everyone has. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird too with Lewis is that a year ago, Juice, we come off the UFC 229, the biggest business the UFC's ever done. They're coming into a Madison Square Garden show, and they have literally no main event. Last year at this time, they had. The best thing they could come up with was Valentina Shevchenko and then induced to hire Eubanks. That was going to be the main event. That fell apart. Uh, Nate Diaz and, uh, and uh, Justin Poirier was going to happen. That fell apart. They had to pick Derek Lewis for three weeks' notice, coming off UFC 229, where he fought against Alexander Volkov, and put him in the main event against Daniel Cormier. Insane year for Derek Lewis. He loses uh, at UFC Wichita to Junior Dos Santos, goes and has knee surgery. Looked pretty fucking good last night. Explosive, man. Absolutely. It's it's almost like when he's on the ground, he just or when he's on bottom, he just sort of decides when he's going to get up. Because when right. when Boy had that, I don't know if it was a Kimura or Americana. He had an Americana really deep. Americana. In that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he had it, and I was like, I thought we we're going to see a, a Frank Mir uh, big nog situation where um, okay. the ref has to stop it because he hears something snap. And I was like, oh, man, what is Derek doing? And then all of a sudden, he just sort of gets up. Like, it's not really technique, just sort of explodes and, and gets up. And, and I was, I, I turned into a total fanboy in the bar. I, I was screaming, like, knock him out with the broken arm. Like, just, and then he throws that arm right away. That fight was absolutely nuts. It was a lot of fun. Um, I like Derek Lewis. Listen, they wanted to do Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic as the main event for the first ever UFC on the ESPN card in Brooklyn last year. Ended up doing Tejado and Dillashaw. Um, I would expect Derek Lewis to get, you know, if Greg Hardy wins this weekend, I would expect it to be Lewis and Hardy pretty quick. I absolutely would expect that. I'll, I'll throw a, another thing at you. Um, if Hardy loses and we don't see that fight, because I agree, if Hardy wins, we absolutely will get that fight. But if not, you know, if they'll, they'll never book this, but I think they should consider it. You know, Lewis and Ganu was yeah, the absolute worst fight ever. Yes, but it was. it was it was because Francis Ngannou was so, like... He, he had some PTSD going on from that CK fight, man. He was a different guy then. It was it was the perfect storm of the worst timing. Derek Lewis's back was was off. There's no way that fight happens the same way. There's no... But but they're going to determine that. Fans are... There's nothing... In the, like when, when you have a rematch, right? Like, rematches always do good business. You gotta sell the. You gotta have the footage from the first fight. What footage do they have? Like they have nothing to promote that. But I, I, I think, you know, if, if the, for some reason, you know, someone was to step up on short notice and we do get that fight again, I think it would be amazing. I think they should at least consider it. 
I agree that that would be the fight to make. I'm just looking at the stats again. There was 15 significant strikes landed between the two of them. Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, two of the biggest punchers in the history of the UFC heavyweight division. 15 significant strikes between the two of them. In a three-round fight, it was a decision that went to Derek Lewis. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I remember watching it live. Uh, I was like, oh, don't get a drink because this is going to be over fast and we get one of the worst stinkers of all time. And unfortunately, that stink is going to hold us up uh, from getting a second fight. I agree, should happen. Nobody in their right mind will think it'll go like that again. Nobody will. We'll all be juiced for that. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou is the fight to make. I would make that. Listen, Ngannou's got nothing. If you're yeah. Francis Ngannou, not to get off the rails here, but if you're Francis Ngannou, you are going to sit your ass down until CPA and DC3 happens, which is not going to happen at least until the middle of 2020 because CPA just had eye surgery. He won't even be able to get into camp until after Thanksgiving, so we're talking December, January, February. You know, we're talking into March, probably UFC 250 or so or whatever. And then they're going to have to fight, and then you're going to have to wait. You're talking next summer before you fight. He's going to be off for a long time if he doesn't take a fight. And that's an extreme gamble because if someone has a nice win, like let's say Derek Lewis puts two or three more wins together, he's right back in there. Let me give you another name for Lewis, the guy we saw last night, Rosenstroke. This guy needs a good big fight. I love this guy. Why not him? He's undefeated. Why the hell not? Oh, yeah, why the hell not? I'm so high on this guy, and I like. I, I was talking to some other friends of mine who this guy's a, a big Arlovsky fan. I said, "Hey, listen, me too. You know, I watched him on Bully Beatdown, like I said at the beginning. I will always root for those fighters, uh, and I, I love Andre. But the man has not looked the same in his later career. And when you have a guy in Jarzinho Rosenstrike who KO'd Alan Crowder with a jab, like there's yeah. no way." Arlovsky's making out of this fight. And I, I felt bad saying that. It turns out I was right, but I was just like, holy shit. And I absolutely agree. Rosenstreich versus Lewis sells. Rosenstreich versus Lewis, or even Rosenstreich versus Francis Ngannou. Either one of those you could do. Or, you know, there's four guys there. You know, Ngannou, Hardy, Rosenstreich, and Lewis. Make a matchup out of those four. Either, either way, you can't lose, in my opinion. Even if you wanted to do the two younger guys in Hardy and Rosenstreich versus each other. I mean, who's going to stop at that? Nobody. Um, let's move three up from the car uh, from the main event. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at 37 years of age. This is a guy who I've been writing about for years. Um, against Vicente Luque, who loses to literally nobody. Um, who's got one of the most durable, toughest chins I've ever seen. I've been watching the UFC since uh, 2006. I've never seen a guy as tough as this. I truly mean that. Nate Diaz, Chuck Liddell, everybody in. Um, again, he proved it last night. This is a guy, Wonder Boy, who fought Darren Till in Liverpool when Till was hot as ever. I believe won that fight. It was the ultimate home home field decision there that they gave it to, to, to Till. I really believe Wonder Boy outstruck him, won that fight, go back and watch it. He fights Tyron Woodley to a draw, which I also believe he won in Madison Square Garden. Comes back and loses to Woodley again. He dominates Anthony Pettis and loses on a flash knockout. Comes back last night and beats Vicente Luque. Beat the hell out of him. I mean, it was it was a beatdown, um, a one that I didn't see coming. It was the fight of the night. I did see that coming. Uh, those guys have great styles. Juice, talk to me about Wonder Boy. Um, I floated out the idea today of maybe a Wonder Boy Woodley rematch. I would like to see Wonder Boy and Robbie Lawler, who has no dance partner right now. I think there's a lot of options on the table for him. Yeah, nothing but options. I agree, and I agree with you 
that I think I, I think he won those fights. I had him winning the Till fight. I had him winning the first Woodley fight. Um, the guy is all action. And to your point of, um, we were, we were talking about Ngannou Lewis. The I don't know the number of strikes thrown between Tillin and Wonderboy, but I would bet it's actually similar if you just count the first three rounds to kind of compare apples to apples. However, the chess match, like the footwork between those guys, it was so exciting. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And like Wonderboy is that kind of fighter. Like even if he's not like in a a la brawl, which that essentially was, he's always going to be exciting to watch. You know, he's got such a unique style and I kind of, not wrote him off, but I just thought I, th- I thought Luke was going to be the hungrier fighter, was going to get in his face and, and make it a dirty fight and get the win. But I, I was sitting there watching, looking like a fool. Like Wonder Boy proved he's as good as he ever was. Yeah, his style is he's one of those guys that no matter what, you lose two, three fights in a row, and, and, and you see him come up on your dance card, it doesn't matter how many fights in a row he's lost. You're like this fucking guy. Um, I forget which fighter I was interviewing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking, I was working on a story here, and um, and I was like, who's the toughest guy in the UFC? And I'm thinking he's gonna say Khabib, you know, John Jones. He's like, honestly, man, he's like, you see Wonder Boy coming, and you know, you're spending forty thousand dollars to bring somebody into a camp who fights like him. There's not many people like it. Like, he's the toughest matchup in the UFC. That kind of opened my eyes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. There's like. Him and Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is the only one I can think of who fights like him, that karate style. Um, Till's different. He's a Muay Thai guy, kind of heavy on his front foot. A little different. Um, but I agree. You know, this is a guy who, who you know, beat Jorge Masvidal. You know, we both agree he beat Woodley and Till. I mean, if he was, you know, more of a shit talker, more of a personality, who the hell knows? I mean, he could be the champion right now. He could be the welterweight champion right now. Oh, hell Yeah. And it's and it sucks too because actually part of what makes him so marketable is the fact that he's not uh, a shit talker. You know, they were floating around this idea in like uh, fight week. They were they were saying you know oh we got the main event is the the baddest motherfucker title ball. What about you, the nicest motherfucker? And he's like yeah, me and Max Holloway can go at it for that. Like you know, he's just such a cool guy. Yeah, I like him. I like I like I wrote last night we just we don't deserve Stephen Thompson. I hope he hangs around a little bit longer. Thirty-seven years old, tough. Um, gonna get himself a big fight next, maybe a main event. Again, I've I've said this for a long time. The UFC should probably think about doing a fight night in South Carolina, where he's from. Huge out there. Um, match him up with somebody interesting. It's instant money. And as for Vincente Luque, there's plenty of time for uh, him to do. He's still an issue in the welterweight division. People are gonna have to deal with him. He's young. Uh, you can't put him away. Those guys are always tough. Nate Diaz made a career out of not being able to be put away. So. Um, real quick, uh, co-main event, Kelvin Gastelum, a guy I have a lot of respect for, a guy I picked in this fight, uh, number four ranked welterweight in the world, excuse me, middleweight, guy who took Israel out of Sanya to the absolute brink, back at UFC 236 in April. Darren Till comes in, losing a couple in a row at welterweight, Tyron Woodley, Jorge Masvidal goes up in weight, finally. Um, I thought this was a terrible fight, man, for him. I really did. I picked, uh, uh, to win this fight. I was supremely confident in it, and he'll get the job done. Um, give me your thoughts on Darren Till. I, I was I was overly impressed by Darren Till last night. For the people who know what they're watching, I don't care if it was a boring fight. He showed me uh, 
a lot better defense than he normally shows. He wasn't wild at all. He fought a very technical fight, the kind of fight that he's going to need to have to fight at that weight class. I agree. I'll agree with everything you said. Leading up to when they announced it, I was like, really? You're going to give him a guy who just fought the fight of the year for an, for an interim title in his first first outing at well, uh, the middleweight? Big, big mistake. But apparently he was very adamant on wanting it. And, and even like the visa issues or whatever was precluding him from being at, uh, at, uh, at the garden earlier. I, I was like, everything is going against him. The jet lag, the, the, the how is he going to cut the weight if he only has like a day or so? And he just sort of shut everyone up. It was, it was awesome. And the fight itself, if, if you were just take the fight out of context, right? It was not a very exciting fight. It was, as you said, a little bit of a chess match. I did not see them kind of getting engaged in like a clinch battle at all, let alone uh, Darren Till kind of initiating it, but he, he won handily. Yeah, you know, I figured that Gaston was going to take a wrestle-heavy approach, and he did try to take him down a few, and he just ran into a brick wall, man. I mean, he could not take Darren Till down. That was a good sign for me. And, and you know, another thing is, is Gaston has shown this incredible ability. I mean, go back to Tim Kennedy, Michael Bisping where he can get inside of these bigger guys, Adesanya. I mean, I wrote, uh, you know, a thousand words leading up to the Adesanya fight about how Gaston was going to win that fight by getting inside and, 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 and putting it on Adesanya. And he nearly did it. Um, I thought he was going to do that last night against Till, and Till didn't allow him to do it. That's a chip in his favor, man. That was, that was the best fight Darren Till has ever fought in the UFC, by far. Yeah, and in terms of the way you laid it out like that, absolutely. I think his future is very bright. I think uh, people were kind of too quick to write him off, M- myself included, although I didn't completely write him off. But as you said, I was like, oh, bad matchup. But, but damn, he showed up. Yeah, and I, again, I don't think it's – again, Gaslam's 28. The, middle, the middleweight division is fucking rules. you got a guy like Edmund Shabazian, who we haven't even talked about yet. He's 10-0. and 0. Um, You know, obviously Adesanya's 32. He's kind of the elder statesman. Romero's 100, but he's a freak. Whitaker's still there, he's 28, you know. Real quick, I mean, let's match make a little bit. If you're, if you're Sean Shelby, where do you put Darren Till next? Well, you know, it's interesting because they kind of usually go by the rankings. And uh, Kelvin Gaslam, I, I believe, was high, highly ranked going into this. So, so now you're kind of playing in the war. Oh, he's number four? Yeah, he was number four last night. I imagine uh, Till is going to move up to probably six. He was unranked, so. Yeah, I would hope. I, I thought, so, before they announced the Gaslam fight, I thought he should be fighting a guy like Brunson. I thought that would be a great matchup. Um, Brunson, I think, just came off a win. Um, Brad Tavares, one of those guys who are veterans, been around there. Yep. Exactly. But now, it seems like he's sort of, he sort of passed the Kelvin Gaslam test, so, you know, you could you could do the Cannoneer fight. Cannoneer is probably one away from the title. Um that that match would be interesting. I also wouldn't hate the Edmund Shabazian fight, although you're kind of killing off two prospects, or, or sorry, kill, killing off one prospect. No, you can give me as many as you want, pal. <laughs> no, uh, I'm I'm saying if you if you if you do the Darren Till versus Edmund Shabazian fight, you sort of you have to kill off one prospect versus yeah, you're sort of I think if Shabazian was a little bit bigger name, they would probably do it. Listen, the UFC doesn't give a shit about that. They'll, they'll, they'll do whatever they have to do to make the money right now. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if they did Till and Whitaker right off the bat and did it somewhere in London or, or Australia. I really believe that's what they'll do. Yeah, actually, 
you know, it's kind of interesting now that you say that because there was that news that came out that um, Robert Whitaker canceled his tour and um, he's, he's because they've had some exciting news and he's going back to training. I thought that maybe the Adesanya rematch, but it also could have been for the winner of Gastelum versus Till. He was supposed to fight um, Gastelum at 234 or 243. Yeah. Yep, 243. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would think they would do it. I think that, you know, and again, I don't agree with it. Um, Yo Romero coming off two losses is probably going to fight Adesanya next. Holocaust is out until April. Uh, Till Whitaker makes sense to me and Jared Cannonier. You know, listen, Jared Cannonier is going to have to win until there's nobody left. He doesn't move the needle. He's not that interesting. Like, he's going to be the uh, He's the Leon Edwards in the middleweight division. Yeah, good, good point. I thought I thought he went over a little bit, um, you know, with his performance at at Copenhagen. I mean, for for me anyway. But uh, you could just be right. He's he's definitely not a, a household name. Yep, he's a guy that just. I mean, if you look at the personalities of Hill, you know, and and Adesanya, Romero, Whitaker is not one of those guys either. But he's such he's so excellent in the cage that, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it shakes out. All I know is that the middleweight division is pretty fucking awesome right now. And that was something that a year ago you really didn't say. It was really just kind of two guys. It was Romero and Whitaker and kind of everybody else. So um, middleweight division is awesome, and that's great. That's good for the fans. That's good for the UFC. That's it's a lot of fun right now. And Darren Till being added to the mix, great. Guy's got a great personality, interesting fight style. He's always going to be fun. I wish he would, you know, tone it down a little bit with getting arrested and things like that. But, um, you know, he's young. Move to the main event. Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz. Roberto Duran comes out with Masvidal. Of course, you get Nick Diaz, who used to just be the best fighter in the world. Now Nate Diaz says he's the greatest fighter of all time. Excellent. Um, <laughs> listen, here's my takeaway. Um, I expected Masvidal to win this fight. I wrote it yesterday. I didn't think that Nate Diaz would be able to hold him against the cage like he did Pettis. Pettis won. was out in the open. Uh, striking engagements, absolutely. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. Jorge Masvidal absolutely tags Nate Diaz all night until it gets stopped by the doctor. Juice, I have no interest in the rematch. I don't see it going any different. Jorge Masvidal is just another level for Nate Diaz right now. Uh, I was okay with the stoppage. Um, the New York Athletic Commission is um, notoriously tough. We don't know what the doctor saw. He might have saw some bone. Um, that eyebrow is pretty bad. He's going to have to get plastic surgery now. Uh, I'm okay with it. Everything it was a little anticlimactic, but I truly expected Jorge Masvidal to come in and win. So for me, there was no difference. It was really exactly what I expected. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Although I was a little bit nervous, so I I picked Masvidal as well. And <laughs> your, your column definitely gave me more hope as well when you said that Pettis had won those exchanges with Nate and the clinch. I was like, yeah, you're, you're damn right about that. But there was a ton of Nate Diaz fans online saying he's going to walk like <laughs> Jorge. He's overrated. He's a bum. And I was just like, I think anyone that said it was going to be dominant one way or the other is out of their mind. But turns out, if you said Jorge was going to be dominant, you were right. I mean, he he absolutely had his way with Nate Diaz. And you know, the the stoppage, I was in the same camp as well. I agree with you. I thought it was a good stoppage. The only thing that makes me question it slightly is um, Michael Chandler had tweeted out. Um, that it was the same exact doctor who stopped his fight against Brent Primus. Um, yeah. his, his leg was broken. That That's a little bit of his own bias probably getting in there. But in the moment, 
I was like, we got to protect these fires from from themselves. Diaz's corner is not going to throw in the towel. You know, if the doctor wants to stop it, I'm okay with that because that that cut was nasty. Yeah, it was a lot like the Tyson Fury fight. And let's be honest, Juice, and they would have stopped that Fury fight if boxing had not been such a corrupt bullshit sport because had they stopped the Fury fight, the rematch with um, Deontay Wilder would have been done because they would have lost it. And it's just garbage. Everything's paid for ahead of time. There's no chance they were going to stop the Fury fight. If that was an MMA fight, they would have stopped it. That cut is disgusting. The Diaz fight, as soon as I saw the cut and I see the doctor go back to it with the uh, light, I yeah. knew he was going to the fight. I knew it. Because there's only one reason to go to the light, because you're seeing bone. So, um, obviously, Nate Diaz is a fucking warrior. He's not going to quit. But did you really think that, you know, and again, you know, you said the people online, the Diaz boys, they wrangle up people. They get people going for some reason. And that's great. Good for them. Because uh, both of them are incredibly overrated, in my opinion. But, um, you know, I was reading some stuff on Twitter last night. Like, you know, Nate Diaz doesn't even try until the fourth round, blah, blah, blah. Guys, oh, man. Jorge Masvidal is a lot better than Nate Diaz and was probably going to finish him had it kept going. Hell, yeah. And there are fighters, and, and the Diaz brothers certainly can be one of them that sort of get a second win and they can come on later in the later rounds. But the plan is never to get hit that many times. He was getting worked. Like, yeah. I don't care what you say if he was playing possum or, or if, like he said, oh, my game plan was just starting to get going. I mean, that, that was one of the most ridiculous. I'm right where I want him. I'm down, I'm down three rounds to nothing, and I'm getting beat to my body. Right where I want him. <laughs> oh yeah exactly that was just like Edmund in the in the corner of Ronda Rousey against Holly Holm he's like good we got her right where we want her like yeah, dude what are you seeing but I yeah I mean and Mo- if you just look at their faces right Masvidal looked virtually unscathed and Diaz looked quite scathed which is maybe not even a word yeah, I mean, there was even a no that's a word that works. there was even a, a 10-8 round in there I mean a lot of people had it 30-26 so it would have taken in, in, it would have had taken two ten eight rounds for Diaz for him to even come close on the scorecard, and I can't remember the last time Jorge Masvidal was finished. You'd probably have to go back to Bellator without looking at it. So I didn't see that happening. I just I'm okay with it, and you know what, man, I don't want to see him rematch. I don't need it. I agree, especially with for the fact that it was kind of a one off like the BMF thing, if you, they said, you know, a lot of the questions the media were asking to Dana and everyone, they said, is this going to be something that's defended? Is it going to have a lineage and all that, which is kind of ridiculous. But um, they're like, no, this is absolutely a one-off. This is like to settle this for, you know, once and for all, who's the best motherfucker in the game, whatever. If you rematch it, that goes completely out the window. That's just, it just makes the whole thing weird. Um, I, I want to pose this question to you, kind of play devil's advocate a little bit, um, because just going back to some a fight that happened a few weeks ago, Mike Davis versus Thomas Gifford. I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, I think this was in Tampa. They should have stopped that fight. You know, saved the fighter from himself. The corner should have stopped it. The ref should have stopped it. This was sort of a similar situation, although not as bad. If the cut wasn't there, like let's say he didn't get cut up, would you have advocated for him to throw in the towel? Um, I think. Nate was getting up off enough offense to for me to say no. Um, I think he had some exchanges there where he was tagging Masvidal. That that Gifford fight was so one sided. Oh. I even wrote a I even wrote a column the next day after talking to some doctors about how they should have stopped it and uh, how he could have got him killed. And I talked to Thomas the next day and 
and, and whatever. That's I just that looked like a fight to you that was that one sided that it should have been stopped. And again, I respect your opinion either way, but I guess I throw it back to you and go, no. But it had the fourth round gone really, really bad, you know, maybe. But I mean, it, it, it is Nate Diaz. He is a guy that, you know. Uh, it has incredible cardio and has the ability to sort of just hang around enough to catch you when you start to flip a little bit. So that, that thing's kind of always there, you know? Exactly. And I guess I'm just sort of thinking about it. Um, I, I wouldn't have advocated for him to throw in the tail either, but um, I think that's why the fans are upset because had the cut not been there, he would have been at least somewhat, I won't say competitive because obviously I just said he got worked, but um, he would have been able to get some sort of offense and make it a fun fight because I was enjoying it. I think people just, it was kind of anticlimactic. People got a little bit, I'll use this term, I think people got blue balls a little bit with the doctor stop. It, that always happens. But these things, uh, rules are in place for a reason. You know, I, I, I did think it was a, a great stoppage. But there was a few moments where it looked like he almost had him in, a, in some sort of leg lock where I was sort of like weird, you know. He grabbed a toehold somewhere, I think it was the end of the second round, and Nate's jiu-jitsu was excellent. Or I said, he can catch him, but unfortunately, he just ran out of time. They had already gotten past the 10-second the warning there. I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about, but I even, honestly, Juice, I even think Jorge won most of the scrambles and looked better on the ground than Nate, which is weird because Nate's jiu-jitsu usually wins the day. Agreed. Yeah, if they were in a straight grappling match, Diaz probably subs him late, you know, for like a no time limit yeah. grappling match. But in MMA grappling and that, where he was able to, to kind of hit him in the face while they were scrambling, you're absolutely right. Yeah, he landed some vicious ground and pound on, on Diaz. So Diaz got his ass with I know Diaz fans are not going to want to hear that, but Nate, Nate Diaz, you know, he would have lost that fight 50-44 probably had a gun to decision. Yep. If not, 50-43. Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. My math is not my strong point. So uh, I have no problem with it. I don't want to see it again. I, I don't want them to run it back. Um, I just, I don't see how it's any different. And I hear this after every Diaz fight. You know, the second McGregor fight, it was, oh, you know, I had an even worse camp than the first time. I couldn't run. He said it again last night. I haven't been, it's always, I can't run. I can't do this. Yeah. No, it's, it's not just better than you. And, you know, that's fine. You know, you, a lot of guys he's better than. He, he might be the best welterweight in the world right now. We don't know, you know. So that's okay. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, got fucked over a lot by judges. You know, he lost a fight to Ally Quinta he should have won. Um, there's, there's a couple of them out there. So, you know, now that he – it seems to me the biggest difference in Jorge Masvidal that I see now from what I've seen for years is that he used to just coast. He would take rounds yeah. off. He would do that forever. He was the king of going, okay, I won the first round. I'm going to take two and three off. Or, and he would lose. He would be less busy than the other guy and lose. And now it's, his foot is on the gas pedal 100%. You're seeing that. You're seeing the difference. That's it. Yeah, I like the analogy he gave one time. He, he used to say, like, oh, sometimes I play with my food. But now like he's got a killer instinct, like, now. Right. No words. He, that was missing before. That was kind of the missing ingredient for him. Yeah. So, I mean, Jorge Masvidal is great. Nate Diaz, it, it, and again, it, it's fine. Did he lose anything last night? He's still Nate Diaz. He could still, and this will bring me to my last question, you know, what's next for both of them, honestly, is if Masvidal is going to sit out, 
and he's going to wait to Kobe Covington and Kamaru Usman, which is fine. And, he, and Nate Diaz is going to do the Conor McGregor fight and make $10 million bucks. Yeah, I agree. Um, Go ahead. It's hard to get Nate out of bed for, for a big fight, and really the only other big fight, if it's not the rematch, which again, and even, even Dana said he, he's not a fan of the rematch, I think it is that Conor fight. Um, that, that's really all you can do. Um, although someone, someone online, or maybe it was actually Poirier himself, Poirier said he'd like to fight Nate, and I don't, I don't hate that. I don't hate it either. Uh, I just, just for it was, it was, a, for, it was uh, actually, go ahead. Oh, just, just cause you said, uh, you reminded us earlier, we were promised that fight for 2.30. I was excited for that at the time, and, um, I just, I would like to see it. Both coming off a loss, you know, perfect timing. I just don't see Diaz getting out of bed for Dustin Poirier. I don't. I really don't. Um, I could be wrong. Um, you know, I wrote uh, last week, it's time for Dustin Poirier to move to 170 pounds. It really is. I mean, he's not going to be Khabib, let's be honest. And after that, I don't see anything for him. He's already, you know, unless he's going to be Tony Ferguson, Ferguson's not going to do anything until he gets close to Khabib. So, and if that doesn't happen, he's probably going away. And he rightfully so. I think this is one of those things where we could see, much like after UFC, you know, 202, where he went away for three years of his prime, where we just we just don't see him. He just goes away. I could really see that. I, I could too, absolutely. Unless they do that McGregor fight. So I don't know what the deal is with the McGregor fight. Um, you know, Dana White says last night that nothing's close to being done. People I talk to tell me that the ink is drying. I really expected it to be announced last night during the broadcast. Um, it's going to be McGregor Cerrone. It's just a matter of when and how. They're, they're targeting UFC 246, the main car, uh, main event for UFC 246. Um, you know, if that isn't done, you know, maybe they try and do the Nate thing, but Nate's got a lot of months of recovery. We're not going to see Nate Diaz until springtime, I would guess. At the earliest, yeah. But so, I mean, the whole yeah. logic of things, I, I'm, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I think you're absolutely right. We, we could definitely see him sitting out for a while um, just because of how he felt about the whole USADA situation, how he felt about he thinks he beat Khabib years ago at an event, you know, certain things where he feels like he's owed things, and I, I don't think that he'll, he'll come back for, for anything less than a big, big fight. Which is weird because... You know, does anybody in the world with half a brain think that that Nate Diaz, who was there last night, could compete with Khabib, honestly? No. I mean, come on. No. No, no way. Um, and again, you know, he said something in the post-fight last night where basically he gave me the ultimatum. It's either Masvidal or I'm done. And people have been making names off him forever. And, and who? My question is who. I mean, Nate Diaz made his name off Conor McGregor, that's for sure, because, you know, before that, he was just Nick's little brother, and we talked about this on Friday. Um, and again, I've, I've always had a lot of respect for Nate, but I yeah. can't think of one guy who's made their name off Nate Diaz, honestly. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> he's, just not, he's just he's not that big of a star. I mean, he's in the in the right in the right you know sort of mix, like last night with Masvidal and everything that he does. Uh, those two together with the BMF title, like that made money. That was great. It was a $6 million gate. But if you try to do that again, it's just forced and it doesn't work. What do you think this did in terms of pay-per-view buys? Uh, you know, I'll tell you. In the ESPN era, things are... I know that Nate's last one, uh, 241, which was, of course, headlined by Stipe in D.C., 
that was the sixth biggest pay-per-view of the ESPN era. So it didn't even crack the top five. Uh, and remember, the ESPN era only started in January. So you're really talking, what, 232, 233, 234, uh, and so on. The biggest one so far in the ESPN era, of course, was uh, was actually 239. Uh, and that was headlined by Jones and Diego Santos. Ben Askren was on that card with Masvidal. That was the, the, the flying knee. So, yeah. Um, yeah, 240 was the worst. That was headlined by Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. I'm just looking at it right now. Yeah, the sixth highest. And again, you know, there's a lot of factors there. Anthony Pettis, DC and Stipe, for whatever reason, DC has never been able to connect with fans and be a job. Neither is Stipe. And you know what? They really haven't positioned Stipe either. They haven't pushed him the way they should have. So, uh, in my opinion. So, we'll, we'll leave that there. That being said, um, you know, I think for Masvidal, and he can disagree with me, I think he should just sit it out and wait, you know, for Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman. That's the only move. And that'll be the biggest money for him. I was listening to Luke Thomas this morning. He said they might give him somebody from middleweight. Um, that doesn't make sense. Who the hell are they going to give him from 185? That's, you know, I don't know. So I, I would imagine it has to be the winner of that fight. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that. He's not the biggest welterweight as it is. He used to fight at yeah. 155. Um, the yeah. only other fight that would make any sort of sense to me would be Leon Edwards. Sure. To me, I just feel like that's a losable fight. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't fuck up my title shot that I know is coming to me. Agreed. And, and I was listening to um, Ariel Hawani's interview with um, his manager, Abe Kawa, and they said explicitly they were promised a title shot if they beat Ben Askren. And then Ben has said in the media that he was you know, promised that as well. So um, he said that Nate was the only other fight he was willing to take, and that was sort of like his whole belt thing, BMF title. So, yeah, I think he probably does sit out. Yeah, I would imagine. And listen, you know, say what you will about Kobe Covington. But let's just all hope and pray as media members who like the story that Kobe Covington wins this fight over tomorrow evening. Because that build-up would be fucking great. I 150% agree. Um, not that competitively I wouldn't want to see Kamaru versus Jorge. Because, I mean, Kobe and Kamaru have such a similar style that really it makes a fun fight either way. But you're right, the build-up with the whole story of them being friends and roommates. There is so much backstory there, and it's real. Yep. It's real, man. It's the greatest pro wrestling meets MMA storyline you could come up with. So, Which, of course, means Kamaru Usman is going to start Colby Covington, and, and you know, Jorge Masvidal is going to convert and become a priest, and we'll never see him again, and we'll get something else. So, um, yeah, I mean, Usman and Masvidal doesn't do a lot for me because, man, like you said, you know, we're talking about Kevin Lee being a guy who should be in 165 pounds. Masvidal is kind of one of those guys, too. He's not big, yeah. man. Um, and Kamaru Usman is fucking huge. He's a guy who should be at 185, you know, rightfully. Um, you know, he's entering his training camp somewhere around 205 pounds. He's a light heavyweight when he starts his training camp. Um, so uh, I just feel like he would talk for him, Masvidal, around. That's my thought. I, I would tend to agree. I mean, as, as fight week gets closer, my my fandom for Jorge might overtake that, uh, but of course I would be wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, early prediction, I would, I would say that you're right, he's bigger. And then that would be a factor. 245, let's look ahead before I get you off. This one is stacked. This is the main card. Jose Aldo, Marlon Reyes, um, Peter Young, Uriah Faber, and then of course three title fights, Amanda Nunes, Jaren Durandamy. Matt Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky until we come to Kamal Usman taking top bill. Give me a sentence and a half. Your thoughts about this card. What a way to end the year. You know, it seems like 
past couple of years, the end of the year card has been like not that great. This is just a banger. I can't wait. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. I think we could have the potential to see, and and I know we're getting crazy. We could see three titles change hands, and I wouldn't be surprised if three titles change hands on on uh, UFC 245 December 14th on Saturday. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to predict it, but Jermaine Durandini is a very tough matchup for Amanda Nunez. Low key, very tough. Volkanovski is tough as fuck and very strong, and you know Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington is going to be a pick. I I don't know. Um, my initial thought on the fight is Colby, you know, Usman is not even able to run. His knees are so bad. I just don't know how he's going to have the endurance to be able to hang with Colby for five rounds. He's not going to knock him out. I mean, Kamaru Usman has never knocked anybody out. He's just not a powerful guy like that. Um, my guess is that Colby works him for five rounds, wears him down and wins. But again, I could be wrong. Um, Juice, I appreciate you spending an hour with me, brother. Where can I find you on Twitter? Um, Twitter and Instagram is both uh, FWM underscore pod, although I'm far more active on Twitter. And, uh, of course, you can check out the podcast on all major platforms, except not YouTube because I'm not an influencer and not SoundCloud because I'm not an up-and-coming rapper. <laughs> Dude, we, we budgeted for 45 minutes. You gave me an hour, one minute, and one second, brother. I'm going to let you off. Thank you, man. Uh, you're extremely talented. I'm glad I could chase you down. Likewise, and I want to say one quick thing. Uh, you know, I try to end my show um, as much as I can remember to to sort of let anyone know if you're struggling with any sort of mental health issues to please reach out. And uh, you doing that piece you did a few months back about being open about your issues, uh, I thank you so much for doing that. Um, it, more men need to speak up. Yep. Um, more men need to speak up about the mental health issues. If not, somebody like me is going to call you a pussy. So yeah, I appreciate what you do too, brother. Let's let's uh, let's hook up. Uh, let's hook up somewhere around D two forty five. We'll do this again. Hell yeah! Thank you, man. Have a great weekend. What's left of it? You too. See you, buddy. Uh, bye bye.